much. Uh, that already was a wonderful introduction. And um, it, it, it really seems like there were hot debates in this room before we came in here because it's really hot in here. <laughs> so I hope you'll still stay with us for the next hot debate on fighting for transparent conditions for consumers and smart devices. And um, I would like to uh, uh, reiterate that we will go to the audience pretty soon, at least that's my plan, because this is about uh, discussing the issue and not just listening to our wonderful experts here. So we'll probably have two to maximum uh, three rounds here on the panel, um, and we only have uh, three panelists. So um, I think we are pretty well prepared for uh, going to the audience at um, sometime around uh, 3.30. So please think about questions that you have for our experts here, uh, because I'd really like, to, uh, like this to be a discussion, and I think you all agree on that. So uh, what is this about? Um, consumers worldwide, it says on um, as, as the session description, and I'll use this because that's the reason why you're here, face major challenges in the use of connected devices. Data leaks, privacy breaches, malware are common threats from Brazil to Germany and basically all over the world. And data-driven business models can do two things. They can enable products for better products for consumers and better services for computers, but they also increasingly shape unfair markets with uh, little or even without choice. And the question, of course, is what governments can do, what regulators, that are not governments, there are other kinds of regulators, or consumer organizations do to empower um, consumers and foster transparency and fair conditions. And this is what we'd like to discuss here on this stage today at Republica. And uh, with me is uh, Nicola Jensch. She's a data economy lead at the Stiftung Neue Verantwortung here in Berlin. Nicola is an economist who combines approaches of competition and behavioral economics in the area of privacy and cybersecurity. She currently works on competition in digital markets, data protection, and big data topics, uh, including, for example, really interesting privacy metrics and guarantees. Mm -hmm. She also served as an advisor to the European Commission, the European Network and Information Security Agency, the World Bank, and central banks in several African and Asian countries, show, so she has extensive experience, not just in Germany, but internationally. And she was a research fellow at Yale and uh, Georgetown universities. Uh, next to her is uh, Marilia Montero. She's a Mozilla Tech Policy Fellow right now, working on analyzing consumer protection and competition policy to contribute to the development and sustainable public policies and innovation. And not so long ago, uh, she had a very different position from 2013 to 2015. She was a policy manager at the Brazilian Ministry of Justice's Consumer Office, coordinating consumer policies for digital markets. So she was in that lawmaker position and law enforcement actions targeting uh, internet service provider and internet applications. She also worked here in Berlin at the Wissenschaftszentrum and she is a board member at Coding Rights, which is a Brazilian-born women-led think and do tank and she's active on internet governance. Very uh, warm welcome to you as well, Marilia. And then we have uh, Gerd Billen, who, ha who is the uh, State Secretary at the Federal Ministry of Justice and Consumer, Consumer Protection here in Germany. And uh, she, uh, he has been that since uh, January of 2014. And there he is responsible for um, consumer protection policy. He worked as a journalist and then later on for the Federal Association of Ev Environmental Action Groups before he started focusing on consumer protection in different position, positions. First as the national chairman of the cons um, Consumer Initiative for the Germans, the Verbraucherinitiative e.V. Later as the executive director of the Federation of German Consumer Organizations. And as a state secretary, Gerd Billen, um, um, uh, said that he wanted to particularly place an emphasis on digital issues, uh, which is, you know, pretty pertinent, such as the question of what rules consumers need for products and companies in order to gain a sense of legitimate trust. And I think that is one of the uh, most pressing issues that we are facing uh, right now when it comes to these technological and societal developments. And uh, first off, I'd like to ask all of you for um, a, let's call it a position. You know, your position on the question of what the biggest challenge is for consumer protection that you see right now or probably in the next coming, in the, in the um, uh, coming couple of years when we look at uh, digitization? What is it that you're most concerned about uh, from a consumer protection point of view? Nicola. Okay, I take, thank you very much for introducing me. And um, 
As an economist, I would probably put this on a more abstract level and say that I think one of the greatest challenges is to um, get the incentives right. Uh, in these markets, we are talking about connected devices, and these are network uh, goods normally, uh, or information markets, to say it more generally, and these markets are for several reasons prone to market failure. And to correctly identify those market failures and then also to de develop the right tools, for instance, if you have information asymmetries and very asymmetric kind of negotiation relationships, that you develop tools that are really reacting to information asymmetries and not to something else. So I think this is really a, a tough challenge for policymakers to identify uh, to get the incentives right of the different kind of market players. Can you give an example of uh, such uh, information asymmetries that would work to the detriment of uh, consumers? Oh, we all know that. I mean, it's, for example, the data um, uh, policies of which consumers are supposed to be informed, and then you scroll down and scroll and scroll, and then, like, the words that are used are very cloudy, and uh, people don't really read it. If they read it, don't really understand it. If they don't understand it, probably it doesn't really impact their decision. So um, I think this is uh, an area where you can actually see that companies can hide um, information. <laughs> And can you probably uh, elaborate a little on that, um, on that analysis or that statement that you see this as a market failure? What, what exactly is it that makes this a, uh, at least part of a market failure? Yeah, as a dogmatically seen, uh, there are several justifications that you need in order to intervene in a market. Huh? This is the dogma dogmatic kind of thinking mm -hmm. in economics. And there are different reasons why markets could fail and information asymmetries is such a reason for market failure. Uh, which would justify an intervention. Uh, for example, if one market side has much more information than the other market side, there's very unequal negotiation power. And, and, and that aside, there are market dynamics that you would probably not appreciate. Uh, but it might go too far now. Uh, uh, adverse selection, uh, rationing of services, and so on and so forth. I can probably later in the discussion yeah. come back to this. Okay, we yeah. will. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Maria, what do you think? The, the biggest challenges that we are facing right now when it comes to consumer protection? Well, um, I won't speak generally. I will speak uh, most about my reality, which is in Brazil where we have a lot of challenges that are a bit different from the challenges that Germany or other developed markets face. Uh, and Brazil specifically is the biggest uh, digital market in South America and has no uh, data protection regulations. So we don't have the minimum standards for data collection and data uh, processing in place. So we are a big market, a big player that is uh, living in an uncertainty for this develop, uh, the development of this market. And specifically Brazil, Mobile broadband is the technology that is bringing internet to uh, the majority of citizens. So our digital uh, divide is being shortened mainly by mobile broadband and not by uh, the fixed broadband. And this comes with another challenges like price of broadband. Brazil is one of the most expensive broadbands uh, in the world, has one of the most expensive broadbands in the world. And um, we have a big uh, competition problem. Our broadband market, being the fixed broadband or mobile broadband, is highly concentrated on very few players. And this is due to a lot of reasons. Uh, nature is one of those reasons. We can't advance a lot of the cable connections because of our rainforest, for example. Mm -hmm. But broadband, then broadband is both a challenge and an opportunity to bring internet to a lot of those people. And at the same time, this is an agenda that is being pushed forward by international players like the World Bank, where having mobile apps to advance public policies and other uh, developing issues is... Um, advertised and sold to countries like Brazil as one of the most um, efficient ways to advance um, policies. And we have, uh, together with this, uh, challenges the challenge of literacy. So uh, while we have to have more transparent policies for consumers and help them have more informed consent on the services that they are using, we have a big literacy problem. 
and the majority of those services are foreign services that we are consuming. Uh, a recent study from the Brazilian Internet Steering Committee uh, revealed that 75% of internet connections in Brazil are mobile connections, mm -hmm. and the three most used services are Facebook, WhatsApp, and Skype. Mm -hmm. um, although we have all of the uh, terms and conditions and privacy policies in Portuguese, uh, if they are not accessible to a uh, literate audience, uh, imagine illiterate audience. And at the same time, uh, literacy and mobile technology, they also uh, come hand in hand. Um, voice technologies are actually allowing more people to connect and use those services because they are a step uh, beyond writing and reading. So they can be a player of this market because of video and voice mm -hmm. technology. So to wrap up and to just to say uh, the biggest challenges that we are facing besides the challenges that countries like Germany are facing is like literacy and competition, I would point, mm -hmm. point it that way. We'll certainly come back to that, uh, to those issues. I still would like to ask a follow-up question, and that is because I, I think, I mean, I'm not familiar with that, uh, with some of those examples, so I assume that many in the audience aren't either. Uh, the, the mobile apps that you refer to that are suggested to also further policy issues and such things, what could that be? What is that? Can you give an example for that? Uh, one example is like health, uh, public health. Uh, Brazil has a big public health system and to access a lot of the public health services, uh, you can only do it by a mobile app. Mm -hmm. uh, when we had the um, emergency problem with the Zika virus, uh, to access points where you could get treatment or um, other resources, uh, the Ministry of Health, health was providing that through an app, mm -hmm. for example. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Now, Gerd, um, I already said in the introduction, you worked for consumer protection um, uh, um, uh, agency, um, and now you are on, on the side of the government. From your perspective, what are the biggest challenges that we are facing when it comes to digitization and consumer protection? It's um, increasing benefits and uh, reducing risks. I mean, many consumers are using connected devices like smartphone, like TV, like refrigerator, like cars. And there are, there are a lot of benefits uh, for consumers. Uh, but we, we have to take care about the risk. One risk is uh, data security. What we have seen in Germany so far is that private households could be part of, of criminal networks using our, our households as, as part of criminal attacks. So their data security is, is very important. And there's the question, who's responsible for security? Is it my job as a consumer uh, to uh, increase security or is it the responsibility of producers? Um, when, I, when I drive in the car, there is, uh, there is, it's clear, uh, it's obvious that the uh, that the producers have a lot uh, invested in, in, in raising up security. The uh, second is privacy. Privacy is a human right in Europe. So we cannot decide to have it or, or, or not to have it. It's a human right. Uh, and so we need uh, efforts and uh, techno technologies, but maybe also regulations to force companies to respect it. Privacy by design, privacy by default is something that's absolutely um, needed. People should decide on their own whether they want to be uh, using a connected product or could they use it just for the purpose it's made for. If I only want to have a fridge that's fridging, it, it should be possible. Uh, and we, we should not uh, force to, to be connected with every, everybody and everything. Um, at the end, uh, it's a discussion about having an informed choice or having a choice as a consumer and having an, an informed choice. Do I get the information I, I need and uh, do I receive the transparency? What is the machine doing uh, with, uh, with me and my life? Um, I think that is the main, uh, the, the main challenge uh, to keep up the, the, the positive effects. And we see it in many households if you have uh, uh, elderly people who are seeing a lot of, uh, in, in their uh, home, they could be using these technologies for social reasons, for online banking, for online shopping, and things like that. 
but uh, we, we need uh, clear rules uh, to keep our privacy and, and security. So um, the main question is about trust. Uh, we are talking about a trust economy. If I, if I see the product, I can't see what the product is doing. Uh, and uh, so uh, that's the discussion we have. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, let me come back to that first of all. We'll come to the privacy issue, of course, uh, in a minute. But first to the uh, security issue that uh, you addressed, uh, especially in this age of the Internet of Things. You know, as you described it, um, almost all devices become connected or at least could become connected. Uh, and there have already been cases where um, they were used for um, not so nice means, for example, creating botnets and, uh, and such. Now, um, the there's a lot of discussion about how to combat that. And one of the um, suggestions was to change the liability regime because right now it seems that mostly con consumers are held liable for this in the sense that they are asked to look after the security of their own devices. Uh, is, is that a... Um, um, a, a way to address this, um, or do we need to look more at uh, switching liability to, for example, the companies who are producing um, those uh, devices and the software that come with it to be a little more, um, 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 a little more strict on how they develop it, this and, and uh, how they deploy it? Yeah, there are many pieces we are we have to work on. First, it's on, on the on the regulation on, on the law side. Is our current law really prepared for these new challenges? Mm -hmm. And we need, uh, we, need, we need a new uh, a balance uh, concerning liability for product safety. Mm -hmm. um, that's uh, for sure necessary for cars, uh, but, but for, for, any, for many other devices. Uh, second is we need a, a change in, 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 in the, what, what we call the, uh, the, uh, the civil law. If I have if I, if a contract with somebody, uh, we need to change this civil law too because there are new responsibilities for producers. The third is uh, we, had, uh, to, uh, we need more independent testing of the products it's itself without knowledge which products are safe or not. Uh, we, we can't uh, do a lot. There's one uh, interesting example. A, a German consumer organization bought a smartphone on, on a big uh, uh, market in, in, in Germany. Um, and uh, uh, they give it to the, the German agency for cybersecurity to test it. And this, uh, and, and this agency found out it, the product was, you, you could use it as a phone, but it was, uh, it was, it was not be possible to have an update on security. Mm -hmm. So they are going to court now, the consumer organization, because they say that is an unsure product. Mm -hmm. It should not be on the market. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, Looking what's going on on the market, uh, what products are good or not is, is uh, important. And another test case was an, an, an investigation by, by Stiftung Warentest, another uh, institution in Germany who find out that for more expensive smartphones, the producers are spending more efforts for data security than for the cheap ones. So the kind, uh, the bad products for the poor and, and the good products for the rich people. That are things we, we need uh, to anal analyze and, and uh, to find solutions. Okay, thank you very much. Nicola, you were nodding your head. Um, uh, I, um, probably in agreement with uh, some, of, some of what uh, Gerd said. But the question, of course, is you know, how to address this. And uh, you are not looking at this from a regulatory point of view, at least not as a regulator. Um, so, so what tools do you think uh, society has to, uh, to address these issues? I think you need to address this on several levels. And um, I can report what I heard in a project we did for the European Commission a while ago, IPAXO it was called, where we were actually uh, looking at innovation and cybersecurity uh, companies and also how they can distribute their products better and, and what the problems are on the level of the companies. So apparently it's very difficult to find the optimal level of investment in security of a product because what you want to do is you want to roll out the product quickly, probably to have a first mover advantage, um, and then later do the security updates as you, as you need to do that. 
Um, but uh, it's very difficult to, um, for example, put a price tag to damages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, what kind of damages are incurred if a product is insecure? In particular, if you think about your privacy is being compromised and data is stolen, somehow how to uh, mon monetize it, put it into a monetary figure somehow. So that's a problem. And also, apparently, uh, the security units in a company often have difficulties to justify to the heads of the company what the return on investment is um, on uh, putting more money into the security of a product. You see, with marketing measures, you directly see the impact, more or less, and you can measure that much better. Mm -hmm. But uh, on that level, it's uh, more difficult. No? Uh, but then, you know, from that perspective, I could argue that the higher the damages, the larger the in incentives, yeah. you know, yes. and then you can justify a higher return on investment, yeah. you know, if uh, you look after your security. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, so I think I, I totally agree, and this is why I nodded with my, with my li liability, just sets the incentives much better as they currently are. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, um, so we have a <laughs> nice roadmap here in front of us, you know, increase uh, damages uh, when uh, companies are liable for this. Uh, just kidding, we We'll, uh, we'll come back to that. Um, uh, Maria, in, in Brazil, you said uh, you are facing um, similar uh, challenges, but also very different ones. One of them is uh, literacy. And now there is a, uh, especially when it comes to privacy, but also security, of course, um, there's a lot of debate about that level of uh, transparency and information and, and what uh, it is good for. Now, um, we are often debate, and Nicola already touched on that, um, is um, the for example, the information that companies give to consumers, is it really adequate in the sense that they provide a lot of transparency in the way that they have 30 pages of um, uh, terms of uh, service and terms of use, uh, but no one really reads that, and even if people would read it, and now you have the added challenge in your country that many people are illiterate, uh, if they, but even if they have means to, uh, let's say, take this in, um, many would probably not know what to do with it or what to make out of it, and is there really a choice that they have in the end? What is your take on this and, and what is your um, perspective from Brazil? Well, as, as the colleagues said, um, this protection and transparency and policies will come in different levels. And I think the, the solution for it is not only regulation and a lot of technical solutions can be uh, key in these issues, especially um, for security and privacy where consent and information aren't uh, sufficient. And I say that because like minimal uh, technical changes, for example, seatbelts in cars, helped um, make fatal uh, accidents uh, less uh, prominent and you don't shift the burden of the security and safety to the consumers. So, for example, if we make um, encryption uh, a necessary uh, tool for any services that transfer data, for example, uh, or sensitive data or not, any personal data, this is a technical uh, tool that does not shift the burden uh, of the protection and safety for the consumers. Mm -hmm. um, But in Brazil specifically, I think we are uh, we have the regulatory challenge because mm -hmm. we don't even have norms to play with mm -hmm. to test if our information and consent regulation will be enough for that or not because we don't have them in place. Um, but uh, we are already in this uh, scenario where privacy is a right of rich people uh, and not of every citizen. Uh, Meaning that only, although we value privacy very differently regardless of our economic conditions, we are in a situation where only people with um, a lot of money can not only pay for devices that protect better their data, but they can only they can only they can also um, uh, oppose certain data collection and. Uh, processing. And I say that, for yeah. example, since we don't have any regulation on what companies can do with our data, we have this um, example mm -hmm. with our pharmacies. Mm -hmm. uh, if you give your social security number, you have a discount mm -hmm. uh, on the products. Mm -hmm. And if you need 
a certain medication that it's 10% of your income, you will give your social security number mm-hmm. because you can't afford Why is that? I mean, why, is, is it just why do the pharmacies want the social security number? Uh, to be able to track customers and yeah. see what products they, they buy? And sell it to, social, to health insurance. Okay. At the same time, though, um, many of the products and services that we are hotly debating all around the world are the free ones. You know, free in the sense that you do not have to pay money for them. If you're looking at Facebook, if you're looking at Google Search, if you're looking at uh, other services. Uh, and now you just uh, argued uh, in, uh, um, um, that um, many people who are rich, they can afford to use other products. But there's, uh, isn't there also a value in the um, fact that some companies offer their services on a non-monetary basis and use a different business model to, to offer these services, which means that it doesn't matter whether you're a millionaire or you're poor, you can use the best search engine that's available or something like that, you know? So, so what, what, what is your perspective on, uh, on this argument? Well, uh, yes, and a lot of those free services, uh, sometimes they are a synonym of the internet and adding another layer of complexity in that. I know that zero rating is a reality also in Europe, but zero rating is uh, a product that is targeted to markets like Brazil and especially from those companies that provide uh, free services. Yeah, meaning, I mean, I'm, I'm not so sure whether zero rating is so well known as a term, you know, probably at Republica, but what it means is that you basically have a bundle where, for example, your mobile phone provider that also gives you data, uh, they bundle certain services like Facebook in that uh, in that. Package. So you can access Facebook as a part of your uh, mobile phone plan, but if you want to go someplace else, um, it costs your data. That's what uh, zero rating means. Yes, so, some services that yeah. won't be charged against your um, data plan. Yeah. And in um, an economic market, in a market where broadband is highly expensive and you pay for uh, a prepaid mm-hmm. uh, service that it's almost 20% of your income, mm-hmm. um, you will use only those services that are for free and also don't charge against your data. Mm-hmm. So I would, say, I would say that, of course, the free services, they are a challenge for uh, every society, but in uh, developing countries, they also have this as the only um, services that a lot, a lot of people use, so they don't have choice mm-hmm. on that sense. And for the free services, I think I don't have a solution for that because, as our, my colleague said, this is a problem of incentives. We are having different incentives to develop this market, and this is a solution that I think, um, as technological uh, development, um, goes uh, forward. This is something that we need to think as policymakers, as developers, and as users, like what is the technology that we want for our future, and we are not building the necessary incentives for, for such. Mm-hmm. Um, after the next question, the next uh, speaker here, I would like to come to your questions, so please uh, think about whether you have any. I'd be happy if you did. Um, get, um, it, Taking a cue from what uh, Maria just said, first the question is, and coming uh, to the uh, privacy uh, perspective here, um, there's a lot of uh, discussion about what a good level of transparency is, and we already used that example of the terms of service that can be very um, very extensive, and then uh, people are left alone with them. They have a lot of transparency, but not a lot of choice. And the idea is, or what, what we need to balance is, of course, in a let's say, in a free country, um, we have to balance that um, people are able to make their choices, you know, they, uh, they are uh, allowed to choose a certain product over another. At the same time, we have to give guidelines as a society, you know, in, um, as, as a last resort, that can be laws, but that can also be ethical norms, that can be um, uh, technological standards, and so on and so forth. Now, uh, coming to the, or, um, um, touching on the uh, general data protection regulation that um, will come into force in a couple of weeks in uh, all around Europe. Um, there has been a lot of discussion about uh, the uh, idea of informed consent. You know that um, people 
are provided information and then they can make an informed decision about what they are buying into. And many people argue that it's, you know, it's not really a, it's not a reality that informed consent, it's just an idea that doesn't really work in practice. Now, what's your reaction to that? They are right and they are wrong. They are right in the sense that nobody of us could read and understand all these terms and conditions and data protection rules. And, and to be honest, I think it's not my, my duty to, 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 under, to understand them, but to find out if they are really respecting current law or not. Therefore, it's, it's good to have that, that idea of an, an informed choice. But what you need is you need institutions who are doing that kind of jobs, like consumer organizations. You need the right to go to court, that the court could change rules in a way when they are unfair. So the informed choice, it's good to have it, but we know in reality most people just do not know what they are uh, uh, they, they may click and, and it's fine. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, it's always it's good uh, to have the transparency for specialized organizations to, to check it, mm -hmm. like consumer organizations or, or data protection authorities. Um, but we, we should not uh, we, we should not think that information is. It's, it's not only about information. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's having support. It's having. Uh, um, uh, it's necessary to, to support for consumers. Uh, uh, that's uh, what you mentioned. Uh, there's a lot to, we have, we have to do about education or empowerment of consumers. Consumers should know their rights. Consumers should know who can support them if their rights are uh, are stressed. Uh, consumers uh, should uh, know how to use. Uh, um, uh, the, the courts uh, to uh, to increase their rights. So it's it's about man, many things. But uh, um, I just want to mention one thing about uh, free services. We know they are not free. Um, we, we pay for it, and that could be fine. So uh, for me, it's more a question: Is it a fair deal that I have? If if I I can spend my my data. For example, in, 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 in the medical area, I, I would be happy if I could spend my data to somebody who could f develop new medicine, not, not private companies, but, uh, but uh, universities. But therefore, we need rules. For example, I'm wondering that in the data economy, we don't have really regulation on, on the supply chain. I mean, every retailer knows exactly where the tomato he's selling is coming from over the whole process, over the whole mm. supply chain. And I would say we, we need a kind of, uh, of supply chain management for data mm. because uh, I would be happy to spend my data to, to use uh, a newspaper online because I'm, I'm happy that we have so many different newspapers in Germany, but I'm not happy if the newspaper itself doesn't know uh, who are the third parties and what the third parties are doing with my, with my data. So maybe we, we need a kind of, kind of code of conduct. If I spend my data, if I use the three services, allow this one, two, three, and not allow this four, five, six. So that's, that's something we, 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 we need to discuss and, and to find rules. Otherwise, nobody of us knows, is it fair uh, or not? What is what are companies doing with my data? Is it fine or not? Okay. Uh, yes, yeah, please go. The, the and, hope and is a little that. bit that uh, uh, the data protection regulation will change uh, that a little bit. In so far as companies are upheld to more stringent standards uh, through the p penalties that are uh, enshrined in it now, and also that they beef up their uh, data governance because there should actually not be uh, some sort of weird information flows into a company, 
But you know, a while ago I was on a conference and there was a big energy provider and it was a different kind of, it was an industry audience and he said, so we did this assessment of what we have and we discovered we have 50 different databases of customers. Mm -hmm. And you would think this is strange that you discovered this in the year, I don't know, 2017, that you have, uh, but apparently that is how it looks like. So uh, the data governance within the companies are not in a good shape. But I also wanted to come back to the, uh, to the problem of uh, um, transparency. I think transparency or information helps some consumers. It doesn't help other consumers. There are right moments, the so-called teachable moments, where people want this information because then in that certain situation it's very important for them to understand the terms of trade. But in general, the information terms of trade are ignored. This could be even a rational ignorance because Mm, the mm, uh, damages stemming from it are immaterial. You don't really know when they materialize and, 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 and how much damage will be caused to you. And then there is some sort of false security thinking, well, there is this data protection law and that will save me somehow. If something happens, I can sue. So there is some sort of artificial security uh, uh, sense, I think. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I wanted to say, as we are now going into the age of smart devices that are connected and that become more and more personalized, it will become even harder to compare all these terms. Mm -hmm. Because at the moment, it's very difficult to compare software and then Microsoft, yeah, installation of Microsoft Office, for example, is such an... Well, I, I privately go through this as awful, and, and how to compare this to other software, which could be a substitute if you have a substitute. You mentioned that there might be no choice yeah, on that side. And um, when the products are more and more becoming configured and personalized, then it's even harder to compare those and to compare the information terms of trades that come with them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Are there questions from the audience? Yes, so now let's make this a two-way conversation. If you have a question, please raise your hand and we'll bring it to you. The caveat is keep it short and simple and let's keep it rolling. Thank you. Thank you for the discussion. Um, I had a question about the information asymmetry. So I, I come, I'm a researcher and in scholarly publishing we have a very similar problem, but one of the issues is monopolies. Mm -hmm. So how do you see a role for market protection agencies within consumer prote protection as well? I'm not quite sure if I understood the question. So what you're asking is whether there are monopolies, and in that case, what would you do with the information asymmetries? Is that what you're asking? Well, so for example, uh, if you have information asymmetry, that's one thing, but there is also the power asymmetry that you can't renegotiate these yeah. agreements, these terms of service. So yeah. How do you yeah, well, actually, these are self-reinforcing kind of uh, self-reinforcing tendencies there. It's good that you point that out. So in general... With the monopolies, you would say what you, what you can see in information markets or the digital markets is that you have this like cost functions, yeah? There are specific type of cost functions that lead to natural monopolies, where you have these big players that really are surrounded by fringe players, but only in specific segments and so on and so forth. And with that monopoly tendency, the kind of information that is accumulated increases in those companies. If you take Google with all the different kind of services they have, YouTube, Android as an operating system, and so on and so forth, the kind of information that is accumulated in such a uh, company is far bigger than in another company, which might be a fringe, com a fringe competitor. And there is a big debate currently also in competition politics, whether uh, an information uh, collection of that size is really replicable by competitors, because actually you would have to enter with free services, free, uh, very many different free services to be able to replicate such an information kind of pool. So what do you do there? It's an open question. It's an open question. There are different kind of ways to tackle something like that, if you think you should tackle it, yeah? So natural monopolies would be under the dogmatic kind of argument a, uh, an aspect of intervention. So there would be a call on regulators to deal with natural monopolies. And then you can either slice them up, yeah, break them up like this was done in the United States uh, way back uh, historically, or you can probably find other ways. For instance, you demand from them that they have to uh, put data 
uh, in an open uh, yeah, uh, pool and let other uh, competitor companies access the data, which mm -hmm. comes with like very tricky questions about data privacy and so on and so forth. No? I, I, I would, I would um, stay on the uh, panel here for, for this because this is a really interesting uh, point that you're making because this has been suggested a couple of times, especially in light of some companies or services that are not easily broken up. You know, how do you break up a social network? Uh, how, do you, yeah, how, how do you slice up Facebook? Does that make sense or doesn't it make sense at all? And if it does not make sense to, um, to break up a social network, what are the remedies that we can uh, resort to? And, and you now just suggested that it could be a good idea to force them to provide data to, for example, competitors uh, to be able to build uh, similar services. And now we have the idea of data portab portability that enables, for example, uh, customers, consumers, users to uh, take data someplace else, but hopefully or probably also some competitors to use this data. What do you think of? What do you think about this uh, uh, bunch of ideas that, that are put out in the open, Marilia, and then also Gerd? Yes, I think the Facebook case uh, is in every, everyone's mind because this was one of the questions that the senators posed mm -hmm. to uh, Facebook CEO. Uh, like, is there a, compact, a competitor for your service? And there is no competitor of Facebook because, um, and that's my personal opinion, it's not interesting to have another Facebook. Facebook is an efficient service because everyone is there and there's this concentration of the data there. And we don't want another social network that it's exactly like Facebook. We have similar ones that it's then a niche, so it's different markets. But at the same time, to foster competition in uh, a digital economy is to incentivize data sharing. So the discussion, especially here in Europe, of open banking is that, is to have more competition on payment services or other financial services. That means we need more um, financial data sharing. Mm -hmm. And I think this can be um, an efficient practice, but this must come with a lot of um, accountability and other resources to uh, prevent harm. And as we begin this uh, panel, like it's also very hard to identify harm in this in this situation. And I bring an example that actually Mozilla tried um, last year uh, during uh, Thanksgiving in the U.S. Uh, for connected toys and connected devices during Thanksgiving. This is something that the antitrust literature is trying to uh, develop. Like, is privacy and security uh, an element of the competition analysis? And for that, can we insert that into the quality of the services? Uh, can consumer, when consumers are uh, analyzing the quality of a certain good that they are buying, is privacy and security something that we can insert in that analysis? Mm -hmm. And they tried to do that uh, into an advocacy piece called Privacy Not Included, mm -hmm. where they analyzed a couple of um, connected toys and connected uh, home uh, utensils, uh, analyzing their, uh, how they complied or how they shared data, how were their security standards. And this is a way of introducing other actors into um, being empowered by the tools that our regulations are creating and empowering uh, citizens and consumers in another way. And this is something that we could test uh, since we sometimes don't want to refrain data collection or data sharing because it can be interesting and it can uh, bring efficiency and competition to consumers. But this has a very um, sensitive uh, line that mm -hmm. we shouldn't and we don't want to cross. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, yeah, I'd like to hear your reaction, but everyone else, please, if you have a question, already raise your hand so my colleague knows who to give the microphone to next, please. Yeah, the next opportunity for Europe to improve consumer protection, but also to improve competition is the e-privacy guideline and the upcoming discussion about the e-commerce guideline that will be in the next period of the Parliament and the Commission. And... Um, we are, what could be ideas if we cannot, uh, let's say, what could be with Facebook? Uh, one piece of solution will be data transfer 
but I think what will be more effective is interoperability. Yeah, okay. So, uh, why is it not possible for me, like 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 on, on, the, on, on the, 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 the cell phone, to use different uh, parts from different um, companies? Why isn't that possible with the messenger services or with social networks? Uh, if I have, I'm not in, active in Facebook, but if I have friends there, it would be fine for me to have communication with them but not to accept the terms and conditions of Facebook. Mm -hmm. So uh, there could be, could be many ideas. And uh, if I understand what you've, you've said is, uh, that's not only an issue of, the, of uh, business to con consumer uh, contracts, but uh, business to business contracts. Mm -hmm. The problem of, of the German newspapers is they don't have the power um, to, to set standards for advertising rules. They are not strong enough. And, and that's that's a really competition problem, um, and um, maybe th that could be a question for regulation too, mm -hmm. to to really to set rules. Uh, what kind of information should the newspaper receive that they can decide they want to share data with third parties or not? Uh, maybe we we, we could de develop a seal for for trusted third parties where we know they accept our rules on privacy, they, they accept our norms. So I'm not pessimistic. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if I see how, uh, how the reaction is on, on the European initiative for data protection regulation that we have now, that uh, part of the, of the consumers uh, in the uh, United States are becoming aware mm -hmm. and becoming interested that setting rules sometimes is necessary to, 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 to develop fair markets in a way that we want to pro products who are respecting our privacy um, uh, laws, uh, but also and uh, security things. Mm -hmm. So I can't see right now clearly. Is there another question? Yes, please go ahead. Yeah, thank you for the discussion. Um, you touched upon the well, the idea of informed consent and how that's problematic because it's so complicated and so lengthy and no one reads it, um, and that was all more or less referring to services where we're, we are really aware when we use a service most of the time. But we also talked about connected devices. And now when connected devices um, become more and more in our surrounding, um, there will be a point when we will not be aware that there are connected devices around me. It's yeah. the same when I now walk into smart homes of my friends and I don't ask at the door, do you have smart devices? I have to sign a form for. Um, so at that moment, I guess the, the idea of informed consent gets totally yeah. overboard. I don't know, any reaction to that maybe? Mm -hmm would like to go first? I think that it's interesting to hear all of your uh, opinions on that. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. Um, uh, if you have many devices in your household, uh, there, is no, there is even no surf surface to, to, to look at, and, on it and to study if you would agree or not. Uh, so that's a discussion we, have, uh, we need to have with, with the producers. Mm -hmm. um, if I have a fridge or an, another device, what, uh, what, what are the... Um, is it designed by privacy by default? So, if I start it, it's maybe without connection or only uh, connected to some security issues. Uh, how can I, uh, how can I, can I be able to to spend more data, um, uh, and, and will I get informed? I, I wouldn't say it, it's the end, but it will make it complicated. There are some companies in Germany working on an idea they, they, they called privacy dashboard. So maybe it's the, the solution is not only to have an, an, um, a way to, to change uh, 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 the product itself, but to have a kind of, 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 of an iPad where I can say, okay, the light, it's fine. You, you can find out what is my mood. Do I prefer red light or, or, or white light uh, on other issues? I, I don't want to have it. It could be a chance of, of con con connected devices um, to develop products that give me more autonomy and uh, in, 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 in more choice, maybe in, 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 some, uh, in respect to some products to spend more data and in others not. Maria? Yes, uh, the connected devices, they are a challenge for uh, almost everything that we know, and especially our consumer protection laws, because they, are, they govern the data that we produce or that we have uh, 
regarding ourselves and not about devices that produce data on us. So they don't regulate devices. They don't protect devices in a certain way. They protect people. So, but this was just to answer you in a way that I think uh, regulation is not the only tool that we have for connected devices. And I think informed consent or all the ideas of consent that exist since the... Uh, since before the data protection regulation, is that uh, it's still um, a very good thermometer to uh, enforcement or to other policies where consent or informed consent is impossible or is difficult or even misleading. Uh, those are the situations where we should uh, implement other tools that we have in our hands. And I think for connected devices... Uh, technology can play an important role. So this is where our uh, standards will play um, a key role to understand that do we want to uh, put this data in the cloud or will it be only on the consumer device or will this be shared through this protocol or another protocol. So this is where I also think regulation is not sufficient, just like consent. Mm -hmm. And Nicola, please. You asked a really tough question. I think there's probably also not so much I can add to what you said. I think, you know, um, there must be some sort of basic, and that's the privacy by design and privacy by default standard uh, that um, uh, helps to protect people's information. Up and there are technological so solutions, you know, but these can become even more intrusive. For example, you could demand from somebody who puts a digital assistant out on the market that uh, the person who buys it and cons consents to have it in a smart home, uh, that voice is recorded, but other people's voices are filtered out, yeah, or put noise to it or whatever. But then, of course, uh, the device needs to identify the consenter and differentiate the consenter from other people. Problem exists, of course, where, as you rightly pointed out, there are devices where you don't know that you are surrounded by them. And um, I, the, the only th way I can think of is the privacy by design and privacy by default somehow. Yeah, uh. yeah you wanted to add yeah. something to this. We are now developing another idea in the ministry, and that's the idea about corporate digital responsibility. Because what we know from other markets, people trust companies. Uh, people love, for example, IKEA, uh, in, even in Germany. And, and we know IKEA is, uh, is um, uh, trying to have a high standard on environmental issues, uh, having a high standard on, on product safety, and maybe we could, uh, could start a dialogue with, with companies. What does uh, digital responsibility mean? Um, on the producer side, because uh, there are not only bad companies uh, in Germany or in other companies, there are many companies who are thinking, how could they, could they um, uh, develop good products for consumers? And good products in the digital area means now products we can trust, that they are respecting our, our laws and, and, and our, our freedom of, of choice. And, and maybe that's an, an, another tool we, we could develop Having, having dialogue with, with companies uh, and civil society to, to develop maybe some kind of standards like we have it as on, on, uh, on uh, corporate uh, social responsibility. That were the discussions in the last years about environmental responsibility, about social responsibility, and now is the time for digital responsibility. There was a question, or there is a question in the last row, please, and uh, oh, there are two questions. So, um, we have five minutes left, so please um, let's collect these two questions and then have a last round of reactions here on the panel. Yeah, very brief. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for the very interesting debate. Um, when I read the announcement uh, talking about um, security and transparency, I somehow expected that you would also touch upon the uh, issue of open source products versus other alternatives. Is that an outdated debate or doesn't, doesn't have to do with this discussion. Okay, thank you. And then the next question and we'll put them together. There was 
Didn't, didn't you have a question? Oh, I, I thought you did. Yeah, okay, so is there anyone else then? Last chance to ask a question? Um, okay, okay. Yep. Hi, thanks for the great discussion. Um, I had a short question about um, voice assistance because uh, my job is partly about voice assistance. Um, what do you think of the dangers that, that come with the voice assistant market? For example, um, especially when it's about the limited voice user interface. Um, if you ask Alexa to um, buy, I don't know, buy a table, she can't like show you all the different offers there are. She has to like uh, limit it to three and you don't really know which algorithm is behind it and uh, if Amazon really wants to give you a, a good choice or if Amazon wants to put their uh, favorite product, uh, product on the very top. Okay, thank you very much. We'll do it in the reverse order, uh, starting with the more concrete question about the voice assistance first and then going to the broader question of open source. Uh, Nicola, would you like to start? Yeah. With the um, thank you for the question. I think that's a very good one because that's also hotly debated how to transport certain services to the consumer once there is this uh, voice assistant and also how to inform the consumer of specific kind of, I don't know, uh, terms of trade in that respect. I think um, you indicated it somehow a little bit in what you said. Uh, the problem could be that uh, consumers uh, that use uh, voice assistance are notched into specific kind of options that um, might be more expensive than uh, what they would have found on the internet or over other channels, or uh, that, are, that receive a preferential treatment of the provider of uh, voice assistance. Huh? So in a sense, it's more um, convenient, but also the whole kind of transaction, I would say, is becoming a little bit more opaque through exactly what you said, that you cannot really screen lots of different offers. And typically, people wouldn't have, now I'm speaking about digital assistants in the home, several of them right next to each other or in different rooms and then compare the kind of offers they make. Yeah? Maria, probably in the, especially in the light of what you said in the first round that you know, literacy is a big problem in Brazil and uh, these kinds of uh, services and technologies could be a way to go forward there, but what about the risks? Um, some of the risks that I, I see are I, adding to what Nicola said is, is also uh, an element of discrimination that they can also, uh, because of the algorithms uh, that build, are building them, like if they recognize a female voice, they will offer kitchen tables instead of office tables. This can happen, for example. I don't know, I never used uh, a voice assistant uh, before. And, and also they can fail to identify certain accents, like mine because they are not trained to understand my accent, for example. And this is a challenge that everyone is facing, how to regulate that and to combine uh, my responses to both questions. I think open source uh, technologies can play uh, a big role in bringing accountability to, uh, to algorithms and uh, artificial intelligence-based uh, devices. And not only this, because the opacity of those, um, opacity can still be a problem with open sources, but I think open sources can give us a very good standard for accountability. Okay, Gerd? Yeah, well, um, concerning the uh, digital uh, voice assistant, I think uh, we have to be, um, we have to, to very careful see what will go on. There's one risk that business partners have to pay, for example, to Amazon to use it. So it could be a gatekeeper for the whole business community. Um, it could also be uh, um, used, uh, let's say, in, uh, in a discriminatory, discriminatory way that uh, only a couple of products are offered. Maybe one part of the solution could be uh, to say, like we have it in other parts, uh, the, the company who is, uh, who is responsible for infrastructure should not be the same who's offering the services that we have in, in the energy sector, we have it on, 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 on the railway, there's a discussion, mm -hmm. uh, because what consumer... Um, um, uh, it would be important for, con for the consumer that it's a kind of more neutral information, a neutral choice. Uh, I, wouldn't, um, I, I wouldn't accept that uh, just uh, the one who pays uh, the most 
uh, will have the chance uh, to offer uh, to offer it with, uh, for me. So we have to, to 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 figure out how things are working in reality. What will be the effect on on the business sector mm -hmm. side? Will be uh, what will be the effect on the on the consumer side? And um, but I'm sure there will there will be a time uh, where we have uh, to discuss uh, what is infrastructure and uh, who, is, uh, who is offering business ideas and products. It's fine to use it. Mm -hmm. uh, we have seen for, for elderly people uh, that, that kind of, uh, uh, of a voice assistant really could help. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's like, like in every part. There are risks and there are chances. And uh, as I told, we want to increase the chances and uh, minimize the risk. Okay, thank you very much. And Nicola, 30 seconds on the open source question. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Please not. Please. Can I back out on it? The only thing is I can add to that, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a good measure for accountability, but you must be very careful for what you actually use it because we know there are certain open source software where specific kind of software mistakes were not discovered, although it was open source. Uh, Heartbleed, I think, is the case, and uh, so it's not a uh, the, the solution for all the woes we are currently facing. Okay, and uh, as our stage manager already said, this is a very German conference, so we have to end on time. This is exactly what we'll do, so we will not go uh, to the panelists for a last round. Instead, I say thank you very much for this very interesting discussion uh, to Gerd Billen, Maria Montero, and uh, Nicola Jensch. Thank you very much, and if you have more questions, please come to the stage and approach them. Thank you.